Welcome to the Motor Witch Chronicles. I'm your host, Koji Helnwein, and this is Season 2, Episode 1. In this episode, I decided that we should pay attention to the current crisis, COVID-19, the pandemic that has locked down the entire world. I wanted to spread something positive and find some people that were out there helping via motorcycle. So I found a great group of motorcycle women who are using their bikes to make a difference and help those in need, be it delivering PPE gear to hospitals, picking it up from people who are donating it, getting it to the people who need it. Some of them are out there delivering something simple as groceries or medication to the elderly who are living in very remote places. Please take a moment, have a listen, and if there's any of these organizations that you're interested in, you can check out the show notes and click any of the links to find out more and see if there's a similar group in your neighborhood or city, or maybe you can set something up yourself. My name is Meredith Balkus, and I'm from New York City. I ride a Triumph Street Twin 2019. Oh, beautiful. A fellow Triumph girl. <laughs> I have a Bonneville <laughs> myself. I'm absolutely obsessed with So you're in lockdown where you are. You're in New York, right? Yes. So what are the restrictions that are in place there for you guys? Basically, everyone is sheltering in place um, in the sense that all non-essential businesses are closed. People who can work from home are working from home. And when we go outside, you have to maintain six feet apart at all times. And, you know, I actually just yesterday, Governor Cuomo announced that no one can leave the house without a mask. So that, that's a newer one. We had been doing that anyway. Um, my roommates and I, we've been wearing face masks and latex gloves whenever we go anywhere. But it's been, I think it's our, let's see, I've been in quarantine since or in lockdown since March 12th. So oh, yeah, day, you kind of, you kind of <laughs> count after day uh, 30. We definitely, we have a tally on uh, the whiteboard on our refrigerator. I think it's at day 35 now, but I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God, it's just dragging on. So what is it that you do for a living and how has that been affected by COVID-19? I am the Associate Managing Editor at Vice. I hope in the newsroom over there. Mm -hmm. I've been at Vice for about three years now. And in terms of how it's been impacted by COVID, I mean, I feel very lucky in that Vice was very quick to have us all working from home wherever possible. Even before my roommates and their employers had figured that out, like they, Vice was fully like, you know, we're shutting down the office. I mean, it's obviously like, like any major outlet, we're paying a ton of attention to this. It is on everyone's minds. It's pretty hard to escape. I think mm -hmm. we're finding really fresh perspectives to cover it. Aside from that, I mean, I just feel very lucky that I'm able to work from home. I know a lot of people necessarily can't do that. So we've been pretty, pretty adaptable, although working from home obviously does come with its challenges at times. You know, the other day I was about to go into a meeting and then uh, the smoke alarm started going off and I was like, <laughs> you myself and quickly deal with that <laughs> oh my gosh since you've been in lockdown you had been searching for a way that you could help through the COVID-19 and help others tell me a little bit about that sure so at the outset, I mean, I know staying home in and of itself is helping the general public as you know best you can. But I also felt this kind of, and I think a lot of people feel this, this helplessness, especially in New York City, where obviously it was from the very get-go was being very hard hit. It's only gotten worse. Although I think we're starting to flatten the curve now, from what I understand, which is great. But I had been, you know, feeling that desire to do something. It didn't automatically occur to me that that desire to help would overlap with my ability, you know, and the fact that I own a motorcycle. Mm -hmm. I had been talking with a friend about volunteering with Meals on Wheels. Um, I guess they were, you know, stockpiling meals and mass up in the Bronx. 
And, you know, he and I were planning to go up there, but he had said, full disclosure, we can take my truck up there. But, you know, there's going to be max capacity. We definitely won't be the recommended six feet apart. And, you know, we were weighing the pros and cons of it. And obviously, I really wanted to go. But in the end, they couldn't guarantee that they would have masks and gloves available. And it just felt almost like helping would be too much of a risk in that in that way. But the same weekend where all this was happening, I was texting with my friend John, who also has a street twin and rides. And motorcycles, to me, at least from the straight out the gate, have felt like the safest form of interacting with anyone because you're automatically socially distancing on a motorcycle. Right. Um, it's an individual machine and, you know, all the gear all the time. Like you were, I wear a full face helmet and gloves regardless. So it feels very like safe. He and I had been texting about riding the following morning. And then he had sent me a screenshot of a tweet and it was one of Ryan's posts about, you know, how he started to volunteer for Max for Docs. And it was a picture of two motorcycles. And like, it was a screenshot of the fact that Chelsea Clinton had retweeted it. And she's like, there's this mission tonight. We're going to bring some PPE to doctors. Like, do you want to ride with us? And I said, oh my God, yes, absolutely. I mean, and this is Ryan from Moto Valley, right? Yes, Ryan from Moto Valley. Right. Um, through a friend um, who also was with us the night of our first mission, um, my friend John, who then introduced me to Ryan and our other friend crew. It was the four of us who rode for the first time. Right. And I had thought at the time that, you know, it seemed like an early operation. I had assumed it had all come together like 48 hours before and that I was like coming into this like pre-existing squad. And I didn't realize until we were kind of in it that it was the very first time that we had done it. It was like the first mission. And it had only come to fruition like 12 hours before, but it was, it was really great. And it really took off from there. So talk me through how the first mission went. For sure. John and I live in the same neighborhood in Brooklyn. So he came by my place on his bike. I got my bike and we rode to Bed-Stuy where a van was coming with donated supplies from Montauk. Right. So we met up with Ryan and crew in Bed-Stuy. The van was running a little bit late, about like 10 to 15 minutes behind. But once it arrived with the donations, you know, we put everything, like everything was bagged, everything was secure. We put it onto the sidewalk so we wouldn't have to, any of us were touching hands, you know, on the bike, off the bike. We were very adamant about social distancing. And, you know, we kind of just divvied up everything evenly into our bags as much as we could carry. Right. Um, so I had put stuff in my backpack and then used my bungee net to strap it onto the tail of my bike. And initially the plan had been that we were going to take half the drop to one ER doctor and then the following morning to another one. But then ultimately the second doctor was available that night as well. So we were able to do it all in one go. We rode from Bed-Stuy in Brooklyn into Tribeca in Manhattan, met with a doctor there and then rode up to Queens for the second drop of the night. And it was pretty surreal at times. There was definitely a fate of the world energy to it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, riding in empty Manhattan on a Saturday night is a very weird experience. Yeah. You know, Manhattan Bridge Inn uh, and, you know, Canal Street, which is usually super jammed up, constant honking, nothing. Like maybe one or two cars in the road, but otherwise like no businesses were open, no people were out. And it felt frankly, like it felt very apocalyptic. Yeah. But at the same time also, like it was really really powerful, you know, to have four motorcycles just roll up, just park straight on the sidewalk and just basically put like all like N95 masks, medical grade sanitizer, gowns, surgical shields and things like that into like, a big trash bag for a doctor who was like, oh my God, you guys are heroes. So it was very, definitely was an emotional experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Motovelli have partnered with masks for ducks. Is that yes. It? And so, so where do the donated items come from? 
Um, masks has various different ways for sourcing them. Part of it is, you know, if it's like from a dental office or a veterinarian or even an art studio, art school, art studio, mm-hmm. construction warehouse, anyone who might have for whatever reason PPE in excess, even, you know, if it's people who panic bought masks at the outset of this who are like, mm-hmm. oh, I have all these N95s that I panic bought, but like I definitely am not the person who needs them the most. Like doctors in the front lines need this. So masks handles the sourcing and they also handle the coordination who needs what, you know, it's on their website, there's, you know, an option, do you have supplies? Second is, do you need supplies? And then they coordinate from there. The motorcycle element of it, initially, because Ryan was the first one who had done it, we had assembled kind of a squad through Motovelli, through the form on their website, and he was vetting them based off of, like, do you have all the right gear? Are you comfortable carrying a load on your bike? You know, even things to like, is daytime okay? Is nighttime okay? Is rain okay? You yeah. know, everyone necessarily has the right rain gear, things like that. And then based off location, you know, if you have a pickup in Brooklyn and a rider in Brooklyn, it makes the most sense based off seeing if they're available versus like, hey, can you come down from the Bronx to do this drop in in Brooklyn? But honestly, it grew so quickly. I mean, I think at the time of our first mission, you know, it was just the four of us. And I think when I spoke to Ryan on the phone two days later, he had said we had like 60 riders who had signed up and it's just blown up from there to the point where it's now there's such a kind of like a chain of like supply and demand that we've able to like try it through masks entirely instead of having to, you know, have Ryan handling dispatching the Emotivelli just because there's an excess of help. And when the yeah. need is there, we answer the call. That's awesome. Do you know if this has spread to any other cities or any other states? Has it grown that much? Oh, yeah. I think it's definitely, you know, I know there's an LA squad now that is doing drop offs. I am in the Masks for Doc Slack. And I actually also had one of covering the story for Vice, you know, when initially, when we were doing the first mission, when John had asked if I wanted in, I was like, absolutely, I would love to help. At the same time, you know, it ticked the journalist box in my head where I was like, mm-hmm. oh, like motorcyclists delivering like vital PPE in New York City. Like, right. on yes, that's a story. Yeah. So I wrote it from like the first person perspective of someone who was on the ride and what that experience was like. Vice obviously is a pretty big outlet. And then after we published uh, the story, I noticed people coming into the Slack being like, hey, I saw an article on Vice. I live in Nebraska, like, or I live in Texas. I have a motorcycle. Can I help? I'm here. Wow. Um, And it's, you know, initially when I had joined the Slack, I also had, you know, set an alert for the word moto thinking like, oh, if someone mentions the moto squad, like, you know, I'll get notified so I could, you know, be present and be there and see if I can help or, you know, if I'm needed. And I had to recently like mute it because it was just if people are constantly in there being like, I'm ready, let's go. Um, So it's definitely, it's definitely taken off a lot in other parts of the country. That's awesome. You've been in lockdown for over a month now. What is the first thing that you hope to do when all this is over? Oh, man, I, you know... It's a big question. (laughs) For better or for worse, I just want to go to a dive bar. Like, and just, I miss, I miss bars. (laughs) Yeah. Very like Brooklyn thing to say, but um, hey, I'm um, I'm from Ireland, so I I understand it completely. (laughs) (laughs) Going to a bar and having a drink with my friends, Mm -hmm. um, probably multiple drinks. Let's be honest, but you know, going to the beach. I think even just things like the simple act of like, I never thought I would miss the line at Trader Joe's, but (sighs) you know, I do. I guess just the return to normalcy, but also just be for all that. I love my roommates. I'm I'm blessed to live in a pretty nice apartment. And I'm also very fortunate to be able to 
be working from home, I think just obviously it's a major disruption for a lot of people. And I'm very much looking forward to going outside without a mask on so I can smile at people and yeah. also see their faces look like. <laughs> <laughs> so Meredith, thank you so much for coming on the Motor Witch Chronicles and filling us in on Motivelli and Masks for Docs and everything that you guys are doing out there. So much appreciated. Of course, thank you. Hi, my name is Mary and I am 32 and I am from Belfast in Northern Ireland, not too far away from actually my place of work, which is the Ulster Hospital. I ride a Ducati Panigale 959, which I call the Duchess. She is, she is a stunner to me. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen photos. Absolutely yeah, stunner. She's just absolutely gorgeous. She's a joy to ride. I bet. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And listen, are you in lockdown there where you are? Oh, yes, we are in lockdown at the moment. Basically the same for the main of the UK. And we've got the closure of non-essential shops, getting your nails done mm-hmm. and your hair done. So most of us in the hospital at the moment look like yetis because we're, our eyelashes have come out and our nails are back to normal and everything else. We're just... We're in need of lovely beauty treatment. Like. Oh, aren't we all? Um, yeah. Well, listen, tell me what it is that you do for a living there. You mentioned the hospital. Basically, I am a A&E porter. I work in the A&E department, transporting patients and obviously dealing with units of blood as well. I deal with quite a lot of patients that are quite sick and have to go to ICU. So it is quite an interesting job from my perspective. Mm-hmm. I do love my job and I we're all part of a team there in our department. Right. You know, everyone does their part. It's basically what. So the fact that this here has obviously happened, it's just like not a normal day for because yeah. we're, we're that good of a team that we all just sort of just got our head started into it. Planned, says, right, this is what's happening. And we're all sort of working together. If we can sort of go above or beyond, beyond our stations, we will do. Mm-hmm. You know, so it is yeah. a lovely place to work in. That's Obviously, awesome. during this pandemic, it's horrible, but we all support each other, yeah. which is, you know, it's good that, that way. How has COVID-19 changed what you do in your work life? Well, what's happened at the moment is our hospital has split into two. We have a COVID side in the A&E department and a non-COVID side. At the moment, the COVID side depends from day to day, ranges from day to day and how busy it can get. And then the non-essential, the other injuries that come into us. The nurses have been split into sort of two sides. We're all sort of split into two now. Mm-hmm. You have your COVID porters, yeah. your COVID nurses, your COVID doctors, and we all take turns. So everybody has right. to experience it. Yeah, yeah. It sounds pretty intense to have to keep switching back and forth like that. Yeah, it is pretty intense. We all had to deal with it last week, actually. I was my first time taking COVID patients, COVID, I should say, COVID suspected patients up. Because right. at the moment with the testing, it takes a day for the results to come through. So we have to treat every patient that they are COVID positive. Obviously, we have to make sure that we garn up in our PPE, which is um, an apron, mask, a hat, or like I say, had a hairnet and a shield. And obviously gloves. And we have to be very careful. Like when we're taking, transporting patients up, we all have to make sure the corridors are cleared so nobody comes near us. Then getting the patients up as quick as we possibly can, making sure that they're comfortable and getting them into the rooms. And then obviously once the patients are in, whatever they've come up in, we have to spend quite a bit of time making sure the bed is washed down so we can't carry anything back to the department. So it's quite a, it is quite wow. a process now. Yeah. It does yeah. take quite a lot of time and you're fair, you're really, you have to overthink everything. Like there's times where you, you're sort of thinking to yourself, have I washed that down? And you're sort of going over yourself again and again, uh, making sure. And then obviously at the moment we're all wearing scrubs, making sure that, you know, when we take off our PPI, we take it off the correct way for putting it on and taking it off. All our hands are 
bread and blotchy and dry because we're washing our hands so much like we always did but you're sort of going overboard now making sure we can't carry anything back to the departments and you know cross-contaminate anything so it's quite it's a long process yeah it must be an awful worry going home to your family then wondering have you washed everything or do you have a certain process that you have to go through yeah basically when I finished my shift I would go and take off my scrubs and then get charred before I go home to make sure that I'm not saying that I didn't char beforehand but it's making sure like you know enough scrub in your skin to make sure there's nothing being carried home but even though you still have the fear mm-hmm. that you are bringing stuff home to your children so I've told my partner that if it does get to the point that it is quite serious over here thankfully at the minute we're coping right. we're now one of the main COVID hospitals the COVID hospital over here is the city hospital and the major hospital and the city is where our Nightingale departments are so at the moment we haven't dealt with the worst of the worst here and then we do have plenty of cases but people haven't been waiting on beds thankfully we've been able to transport patients up but I have said to him that if things do go down that path and it is bad I will have to move out for a while because I can't risk bringing anything home to my partner or my daughters yeah so so that is the process there's actually a few of our nurses have moved into temporary accommodation at the moment oh wow so that they're not bringing anything back to their families so it's you know everyone's sort of going above and beyond our means it's it is quite hard because I can't tug my children as well, you know, feel fear of, you know, until, you know, obviously after a few hours and making sure everything's clean, I'm going home, making sure everything's scrubbed down. Yeah. You're so scared to even kiss your children or cuddle. Right, because yeah. Obviously, because obviously with the units that you've been working in or the departments that you've been working in, but hopefully people are listening because obviously with the closing on essential shops at the moment you're only allowed to go out for food or for like for health reasons if you have to go to the chemist and you know obviously work but obviously there's certain places that are still having to go out to work besides ourselves like when I go even to the likes of Tesco's or Asda I try to tell the girl to tell you know I just tell her thank you for you know coming to work today because it is a scary time for everyone you know coming out and doing their jobs because you don't know what you could catch Mm-hmm. Yeah, it must be very frustrating for you to see so many people going out for things that aren't essential. Yeah, it, it annoys me quite a lot. Yeah. I, the NHS, there's a group that started in England and they're doing like a ride of thanks right. for the NHS staff and other essential workers. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a run next year. It's going to be, a, it's a big massive UK. A motorcycle defense. ride. Yeah, motorcycle right. ride basically. Right, yeah. We all do a small run together and then at 11 o'clock we all ride past the main COVID hospitals as a thank you. But it right. is going to be a major event next year, but I've been put in charge of the county down area. Oh wow. So it's a big, big event. It sounds amazing though. Um, the group that I've created and the people that are in it, one of my main rules is I don't want to hear about anyone going out for a non-essential ride in a motorbike yeah. because I will just boot them. It's just as simple as that because it annoys me seeing people like going out to walk in the streets now. I do have an aunt who's 84 and she at the minute is having to self-isolate mm-hmm. because of this. But even when I bring her food shopping, yeah. I leave her food shopping at the door and then I get back into the car yeah. and there is yeah. no contact between us. So, you know, we're able, I'm able to talk to her from the car and it's about three metres away from her front door. There, you know, you're just having to be so careful with everything. And I'm telling her, you know, make sure you wipe everything down when you get inside. But 
seeing people just out walking and there's still groups of people going about it is very annoying to me anyway to everybody that works in hospital because we're sort of like we're going to risk our lives Mm -hmm. you know and and at the moment in our department there's over 15 people that are ill that have caught this so it's quite a scary time and as far as I know I'm aware at the moment in the whole of the UK 20 of our NHS staff have actually passed away Wow, I wasn't aware of that. Um, Two of them have actually been porters, which is my basically my job. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everybody's at risk. It doesn't matter what you are. Yeah. It doesn't matter. This virus does not care what your status is. It doesn't care if you're rich or poor, if you're a doctor or a domestic. It doesn't care what you are. If you get this, there is a possibility you will die with it. Yeah. Basically, I urge anyone that thinks that we're going out, you know, to decide why are you going out? Why do you need to go out? If you have to go for shopping, can you go to somewhere local? You'll be in and out, get your essentials. I buy what I need and I'm straight back out again. Right. And that's the way it should be. You know, mm-hmm. if you're having to go to different places, please go to somewhere that has near enough everything. Yeah. A lot of places as well are doing deliveries. Exactly. Yeah. They limit to going outside. I know it's very boring being in the house, but at the end of the day, it is for everyone's safety because if this does get out of control at the moment, over 10,000 deaths in the UK already, mm-hmm. this could rise as quick as Italy and China is. very scary because we haven't even reached our peak yet. Right. Yeah, it needs to be contained. Yeah, it does need to be contained. It it is very scary. And I was one of those people, I was like, oh, it's not going to get that bad. It's not going to, you know, tell the realisation that it is actually, you know. When you're taking patients up, you're looking in their faces and they're absolutely terrified. You know, you don't want to see that. Yeah, yeah. You know. It's the harsh reality of it. Yeah, I'm taking a patient up and I'm taking them into the room that they might not come out of. God. You know, so it is the harsh reality of, like, that's why I urge people just to stay at home. Mm-hmm. So with all that said, I bet you're really looking forward to when this is all over, huh? Yeah, I've basically told my other half that once this is all over, the children are going to their granddad's. Yeah. And I'm packing a bag and I'm away on my bike. Oh my God. I don't care where I go to in Ireland. I'm just packing a bag and that's it. Just go anywhere. Yeah. Get that. Yeah, anywhere to get away from it all because I haven't even been out on my bike. Mm-hmm. So to me it's non-essential for me to use when I have a car yeah exactly and again you know obviously accidents do happen and then it's another strain on our system because mm-hmm. obviously then we're trying to deal with COVID cases plus whoever comes into your apartment if you're sick yes obviously come to us mm-hmm. but yeah. think before you do it definitely a break is needed because it's been talked about that it, possibly, it could get worse again in the winter tomorrow the UK announces that well it's rumoured that it's going to be another three weeks in isolation which I hope does happen because at the minute it is far too soon if people do go out. Yeah, that's, I think that just happened in the Republic, right? Yeah, it has happened in the Republic. I think it's to the 3rd of May for you guys. guys. Yeah. And you're not the same set of rules that we have up here. Yeah. So I'm hoping that it is going to be another three weeks because it's manageable over here in our wee islands. We can't risk it getting any worse. I'll be happy tomorrow night if it's announced that it is another three weeks. Well, fingers crossed people start paying attention and help to contain it so that you can get that break and go for that bike ride. Exactly. You know, people like they have been very good to us. People have brought us food and everything else and different wee items. And then obviously everyone clapping on a Thursday night. It's lovely to hear at eight o'clock. Yeah. You know, people showing your appreciation. And every Thursday I'm opening my window and just listening to the claps. And you see fireworks and you see, you know, you hear the boats in the distance from the River Ligon tooting. And it's quite a, it's a lovely to hear. But like I said, the best thing for to do for us, if they want to help us, is please just stay inside. You know, limit your travel yeah. if you have to go out. Just limit it. Because if we can continue 
maintain this, then you know, like I said, the lockdown will be over, mm-hmm. and we're all going to be able to get out. We'll all be able to get out on our bikes. Yeah, I'll be able to get away. Yeah, for a day. Exactly. Days, yeah. Know, exactly. So you know. Thank you so much for being right there and helping so many people as you are and doing such a great job and for sharing your story and for just driving home why it's important. Thank you so much for giving me the chance to talk and thank you very much for coming. My name is Rosie and I'm currently living in Essex but I'm originally from Cornwall. I ride a Suzuki SV650 at the moment called Martha. And what do you do for a living? I work as a junior doctor um, in one of the Essex hospitals. I've been qualified three years now and I'm just working in what we call like general or acute medicine. So that ranges from everything from kind of once people have come in through the emergency department and need admitting into hospital. So I'll be the person who does that right up to kind of when they're on the wards. Wow. And so how does COVID-19 affect your work life in this case? been a lot a lot of changes so we've completely restructured how we admit people into hospitals which means we need more staff on the kind of on the front door so looking at trying to keep those who you know possibly have have COVID versus those that don't because you have to remember that you know we are normally our hospitals are normally full this is all kind of extra workload on top so we've had to kind of completely restructure that and also change all our other wards as well dividing up a hospital differently and you know with lots of staff being unwell as as well so trying to cover all these kind of empty spaces and yeah so it's been a very very weird couple of weeks um not like anything I'm kind of being used to at all and even when we when even when the patient load has been quite small like it's just been very very different right so it must be a lot busier than usual and a lot more hectic for you it's been odd because we get moments where it's a lot busier but then moments where I think a lot of people are quite scared about coming into hospital so for example today I was helping out on the stroke ward and there's been way less stroke admissions which might just be because it's you know hotter weather so you're less likely to have a stroke for various reasons but then also I think people just don't want to come in which I guess is a good thing but then we're also a bit like other all these people sat at home who've had a stroke and just don't want to come in because they're scared so it's wow I don't know it's it's been very very odd like it's not how we predicted it would go Right. And your city's on lockdown right now, yeah? Yeah. So oh, wow. it's you can go out for an hour for exercise with someone in your house. But other than going to the shops or, you know, medical supplies, unless you're a, what they call like a key worker, then you've got to be at home. Do you have any bike plans for during lockdown? So I'm still commuting on my bike, which is my wow. like... I don't know it's it's like the best bit of my day yeah <laughs> it's just nice to be able to kind of switch off after everything that's gone on and just kind of get on it in 25 miles there and then another 25 miles back so 50 mile commute wow. which on the bike is very nice yes and the roads have been really quiet as well so it's like a lot of it's dual carriageway so it's been very safe and careful of course but of course. it's been it's been really nice <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And at the weekends, it's been a lot of cleaning. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> like I've been cleaning my bike way more than I would normally. Because what else are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. So, what's the first thing you'll do when all this lockdown is over? So, I think it will be. So, my partner also rides. So, I think we'll have a few nice trips out. Go get some food. Maybe go to the beach. Kind of all the stuff that we haven't been able to do. He's still working at the moment, but has a work car for that. So he's not been on his bike in weeks. So I think he'll be taking him out on a little route. Thank you so much. My name is Daniela. I am from Hungary, but I grew up in Stockholm in Sweden and I moved to Ireland uh, 12 years ago. And what do you ride? 
May I currently ride black Kawasaki 650 versus 2007 model. Beautiful. And what do you do for a living? I am self-employed as a dog groomer, so I have a shop and I wash and clip dogs all day long. So much fun. And how does COVID-19 affect your work life? Well, at the moment, we're uh, since we're classed as a non-essential business, this is my third week now I've had to uh, keep my shop closed. So I'm not allowed to groom any dogs. Obviously, that's a loss of income and a lot of spare time freed up. So I try to um, contribute to the COVID situation by running errands and running shift and doing work or a blood bike west. Tell us about that. So I joined Blood Bike West in, I think it was December in 2019 last year. And we provide out a courier service out of hours for uh, hospitals and hospices in Galway. We pick up medical equipment and breast milk and blood from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. in the morning. Now with the COVID-19 situation, we're thinking going 24-7, 365 days a year. I believe that you guys are helping some of the more remote people, the, especially the elderly out there in Galway and Connemara. Tell me a little bit yes. about that. Yeah, we have approached pharmacies around in the county and asked if they have any elderly people or old people or sick people that for some reason can't pick up their medication. So what we do then is we drive to the pharmacy, we collect the meds, sign a sheet, everything is monitored, and then we go out to the patients and we leave their meds on the doorstep. So we have no contact with the people whatsoever, but they still get their medication. Wow, that's an amazing service. So now, do you have any plans to work on your bike or be on your bike in any way during lockdown? Well, I can sit on my bike and I can drive for about two kilometers. I can't work on my bike. I'm not that kind of girl. I leave that to professionals. So I just I just have, have my fingers crossed and I hope that this will be over and we can all go out for spins because that's what we want to do, really. Exactly. Yeah. And what's the first thing you will do when it's over? I'll probably drive to Connemara ah, for a big spin. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. And Thank you for having me and stay safe. My name is Sarah. I am the president of an all-female club called Morrigan MCC in the southeast of Ireland. I have a CBR 900 fireblade, which I love, bright pink. What do you do for a living, Sarah? I work in the college in town. We have over 10,000 students, 1,000 staff, and I'm in the catering department, so okay. make sure they're all fed. So how does COVID-19 affect your work life then? Well, we closed down the 13th of March and not back until September. Just lucky the government is handing us out some sort of payment otherwise we're fecked. What is it that you found to do with your time on the bike in the meantime? There's this group of lads they run the photo rally competition for all of Ireland since they couldn't run it this year they decided that since anyone that's in that are well able to travel the roads so they asked if we wanted to volunteer so what we do is collect PPE for nursing homes and hospitals and we deliver them around the country so it's one way of getting out on the bike. Right so basically a mission is, is sent out and someone who's close by accepts the mission and collects the donated gear and then you ride yeah. all over the country. We're added into a WhatsApp group for each county so whoever can take the call does the job. Since there's a lockdown in Ireland now do you guys need permission to be on the roads? Once we have the messages from WhatsApp on our phones, that's clarified enough to go ahead and do what we have to do. We can just show that to the guards. Ah, right. The roads are really empty now, right? Nobody well, travelling. No one on the roads. It's unbelievable. Very quiet. Only the trucks and all the trucks wavy on to wow. pass them in and stuff. But other than that, the roads are just dead. And are there a lot of checkpoints now across Ireland? Starting yesterday, there was. Now you can get fined if you're out on the bike or cars up to two and a half thousand and maybe a jail. Oh my god. So 
That's, yeah. <laughs> that's serious. <laughs> so a good reason to go traveling. Yeah. Or exactly. less from work that you're still in work. Well, no better reason than volunteering and bringing PPE gear to those who need it. Most well needed. What's the first thing you plan to do now when all this is over? I don't, I'll probably go camping with the kids and family. Just get out of the house. Go yeah. somewhere different. Yeah. <laughs> Give everybody big hugs when you see them. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I've been with the husband. Get him out on his bike because he's going mad. He's stuck in. Yeah, <laughs> He can't go anywhere. Do you have any bike plans for while the lockdown is happening? Will you do any work on it at all? Well, I've done a bit of work before the lockdown. I've done a service on it and that, but now I need new tyres, which... I'll have to get soon if I want to stay on the road and back brakes. So I'm planning on doing a nice burnout outside the house. (laughs) Please send me a video of that, Sarah. Jesus. Oh, I even got the I even got the pink smoke bomb. Oh my God! Get the Morrigan page to go live with that, please. That'd be deadly to watch. I'm hoping to do that anyway before I bring the bike out. Yeah, <laughs> Hopefully. Well, listen, Sarah, thanks so much for all the volunteering and the work and really stepping up and getting all that PPE gear to where it needs to be. All you bikers there in Ireland are absolute legends. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's great getting out there. It's great even volunteering, helping out some sort of way. Like. Mad props to Bravo Charlie Tango Bikers Coming Through group. They really pull through. So if anybody wants to follow their Facebook page, they can find them at Bravo Charlie Tango Bikers Coming Through on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Motor Witch Chronicles. If you made it this far, I wanted to apologize real quick for some of the sound issues that we had in this episode. Unfortunately, it's the nature of a worldwide pandemic and not being able to get to most of my equipment. So if you made it through it, thank you very much. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review and subscribe because we love hearing back from our listeners. And if you'd like even more content from female bikers around the world, head on over to motowitch.com for articles written by world record holders, adventure riders and even new riders. If you're a female biker and you're listening to this and you think you might have something to share with the MotoWitch community, do get in touch with me. Go ahead, submit your story at hello at MotoWitch.com now. And either way, pop over to Instagram. Say hi at MotoWitch Collective. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you stick with me as I learn on the fly. Until next time, ride safe. <laughs>